BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. It is not often that I take a supplement and I feel immediate results from it, but I have talked for years about how when I started taking magnesium, I felt like I found a missing puzzle piece to my health. It helped so much with so many different things like insomnia brain fog. I found that magnesium really helped me with period cramps, anxiety, all of these different things. And when it comes to magnesium, they are not all created equally. I was at Pilates about a year ago with my friend Ashley and our instructor was telling us about Moon Juice's Magnesium. So we literally both ran out to buy it. And when we had class again a few days later, we were both like, whoa, we slept through the night like babies and it really works. So unlike other magnesium supplements that just have one form of magnesium, Moon Juice's Magnesium actually has three bioavailable forms of magnesium and L-theanine, which you guys know is my favorite. Each one brings extra benefits. So you're not just supporting your sleep, but also things like bloating, regularity, brain health, muscle relaxation, and you don't get that morning grogginess. So if you have taken something like melatonin, then you know what I mean. And with an estimated 50% of the U.S. deficient in magnesium, it's really important for everybody to supplement with. It's not just for things like sleep and anxiety and muscle cramping and things that you can actually feel. It's responsible for over 300 processes in the body. So things that we may not even notice are deficient or things that we may not even notice are not functioning optimally can benefit from magnesium, but it can also help, like I said, with insomnia, fatigue. It can help with headaches, low mood, brain fog, all of that. So if you want to get a more well-rested night of sleep or just want to try magnesium yourself, go to moonjuice.la slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout to get 20% off. That's moonjuice.la slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout to get 20% off. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. 
know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I really loved today's episode. I think the subject matter is so fascinating and I was so inspired by my guest. I actually just listened back to it last night because we recorded about a month ago. So I listened back because I have to make notes for my editors and everything. And sometimes it's different hearing it than it is when I'm recording it. So when I'm listening to it kind of passively as a listener, I hear so many more things and different things than I hear when I'm doing the interview and kind of actively listening and trying to run the conversation. So I think you guys are going to really love this episode and find it really interesting as well. So my guest is Dr. Julia Deganji. She is a neuropsychologist. She completed her residency at Harvard Medical School, Boston University School of Medicine, and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. She has also studied genetics, trauma, resilience, and more at Columbia, University of Chicago, and Georgetown. She has nearly two decades of experience studying the connection between our brains and our behavior. And she just has a really incredible career. She's worked with leaders at the White House press office, global companies, international NGOs, U.S. special forces, and her understanding of stress, trauma, resilience is also informed by her work in international development and humanitarian aid, where she served some of the world's most vulnerable communities. As the founder of NeuroHealth Partners, a neuropsychology-based consultancy, Dr. Deganji shows people at work and at home how to harness the power of the brain to lead more satisfying and emotionally intelligent lives. She also has a new book out called Energy Rising, which I really recommend getting. I think you are definitely going to be inspired to buy that after you listen to this episode. So today we are talking about the importance of confronting and accepting uncomfortable emotions and the many ways that we betray ourselves to avoid uncertainty. So whether that's people pleasing or overthinking or overworking, it's all to kind of avoid this uncertainty that our brains are wired to do everything to avoid. So it is like an evolutionary thing, but it ends up harming us in a lot of different ways. So we talk about that. We do discuss some trauma and why some people can experience and process the same trauma in different ways. She has a really incredible story of how a patient of hers overcame a major trauma. We talk about how to let painful emotions move through us. We talk why our internal state is more important than our external circumstances and how we kind of have those reversed. So we think we need to change our circumstances to change how we feel. Really, it's the other way around. And so much more. So please enjoy Dr. Julia Deganji. Welcome, Dr. Deganji. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you here. There is so much that I want to talk to you about. I've been listening to you on other shows and just doing a deep dive into you as I do with all of my guests. And I know that you have said that you really, truly feel like you are living your life's purpose through your work. 
But you have kind of an interesting trajectory and a lot of your life experience has informed the work that you're doing now. So could you tell the listeners about that? Absolutely. So I am a neuropsychologist, which a lot of people don't know what that is. It means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. I come from kind of a lineage of mental health and psychology. My father is a psychologist. So I never thought that psychology was going to be my domain. I sort of grew up reading his textbooks. My father is a very interesting man for a lot of different reasons. But he would always be telling very interesting stories about human behavior. My brother is also significantly disabled. And my mother worked with immigrants. She was an educator of immigrants. So it was always this collection of being very interested in human behavior, social justice, and service. So I thought that I was going to be humanitarian and do a lot of political work. So I started my career working in the the White House. I'd done several U.S. presidential campaigns. I then became very interested in advocacy and moved that overseas. So I did a lot of international humanitarian aid, a lot of international relief work. And the thing that started to strike me is that wherever I was on the planet, Chicago, Detroit, Lagos, Buenos Aires, Mombasa, emotion looked like emotion. So I was working in extremely traumatized environments. Grief always looked like grief. Loss always looked like loss. Conflict always looked like conflict. Rage always looked like rage. Hope always felt like hope. And so I became very interested in like, how is it that wherever we go on the planet, there's these situations that cause a tremendous amount of pain And what is a way to kind of scientifically look at what does it take to get the human spirit out of pain? Mm -hmm. So I never thought that I was going to end up in neurobiology. But the more I dug and the more I dug and the more I dug, it's like, I think the brain is the most extraordinary machine on the planet. The whole of our consciousness rises from it. And to really understand our lives we need to understand the brain. And so I really now root my work in this idea of the brain, emotional pain, and emotional power. And the way you started off this interview, I feel that if I had a million lifetimes to live, a million times over, I would live it on this altar of human pain and human resilience. Mm -hmm. It's just so, I get chills talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so true. It's so powerful. It's so glorious. And I think what, what I, I feel like I'm on this planet and I appreciate being on this podcast to tell people is that we constrain our lives so much. We constrain our promise, our potential, our ideas, our connection because of our unwillingness to feel feelings that our body is literally designed to feel. Yes, I I can relate to this a lot. I have been in recovery for nine and a half years mm-hmm. and I feel like I truly turned my pain into my purpose. And I feel like my addiction and my alcoholism and all the trauma that I, you know, endured throughout that time is my absolute greatest asset. And I feel like pain and purpose are kind of two sides of the same coin. But with addiction and alcoholism, I resisted confronting that for so long. But I think people experience that with other things, anxiety, depression, just this resistance to confront 
anything uncomfortable. Whereas on the other side of that is like your whole life. You said that so beautifully. So I know we're here going to talk about Energy Rising, the Mm -hmm. book that I wrote. Really, the premise of that book is everything you want in this lifetime is on the other side of these feelings we think we can't feel, Mm -hmm. right? We want more self-confidence. We have to figure out how to work with the energy of doubt. We want more peace. We have to figure out how to work with the energy of uncertainty. We want more connection or intimacy. We have to figure out how to work with the energy of rejection. You know, I think um, one of the most powerful definitions that I think there is for addiction, and there's so many different types of addiction, is ritualized Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-soothing, right? It's like, I feel miserable. Let me let me fix it. I feel miserable. Let me fix it. I feel miserable. Let me fix it. And so what we know is that trauma and addiction go hand in hand because when I feel that horrible and I don't know what to do with feelings that are living entirely inside my body, of course, I'm going to Mm self-medicate. Of course, I'm going to self-soothe, right? So whether that's alcohol, drugs, scrolling, work, working out. And it's like what happens, though, with addiction, I think if it was a permanent fix, there would be no problem, right? Right. But what it really does is kind of this narrowing of pleasure. So it's like because of my inability to sit with difficult feelings to get me to the relief I'm ultimately seeking— we kind of, we tie our life in, in tangles. And so I just really think that if we could come into a different, a different relationship with painful emotions, right? Doubt, disappointment, fear, anxiety, shame, our lives and the entire planet would look mind-blowingly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious. I wanted to ask you why you named your book Energy Rising. Like, what does that mean to you? I love that you asked that. No one's asked me that question yet. Oh, I've done a lot of interviews. <laughs> so, okay. I want you to think about, so the body and the nervous system and the brain are brilliantly designed. Your brain and your body know how to get rid of, rid of waste. So if I eat food, my body knows how to release it. If I take in oxygen, my body releases carbon dioxide. My skin cells go away every 27 days. In other words, the body knows what to do with energy when it's done with it. But when it comes to our painful emotions, here's what happens. We start to, a feeling starts to rise inside of us like doubt or like fear or like anxiety, and we shove it down. Another feeling starts to rise, shove it down. Another feeling, shove it down. Another feeling, shove it down. And pretty soon, We are emotionally constipated, okay? We are brittle, we are reactive, and our lives feel unmanageable. If we would just let the energy rise, just allow the painful energy of fear or sadness or overwhelm to just move through the system, the body knows exactly what to do with that. And so what happens is, because we don't trust, I think the fact that our systems can handle these energies we just keep kind of shoving the energy down and we really end up living these like fractured, trapped, claustrophobic lives. What does that look like? Kind of feeling that emotion of letting that energy and those emotions rise, because I think that there's this messaging that we're supposed to feel comfortable all the time. And if you are experiencing anxiety or uncertainty or fear that you need to figure out how to overcome that essentially 
instead of accepting these emotions as just part of life and things that you can work with. Absolutely. I think what's really important where I'd love to orient the conversation is why and where. So first of all, pain hurts, right? And when I say pain, I'm referring to any negative feeling that your body produces. I don't care if we call it fear or anxiety or inadequacy. The parts of your brain that produce bad feelings are the parts of your brain that produce bad feelings. Obviously, they're on a continuum, right? So some people can be traumatized and some people can just be mildly afraid. But as I was saying before, the why of this is because everything that you want is on the other side of these feelings. But then there's this really interesting question of where. Where does the pain in our life come from? And this is where I think we make a big mistake. We have the wrong target. And the surest way to not hit targets in our life is to have the wrong target. We are very quick to say that the reason I am not living the life that I want to live is because of what the people are doing. The way that she's talking to me, what he did to me, what they didn't do for me, what they did to me. And there's a tremendous amount of pain that comes from that, for sure. But a significant amount of pain in our life comes from the ways that we injure ourselves. Mm -hmm. I call this in the book, I call this the pain of self-division, right? So there's a, a part of me that is feeling in one direction and then a part of me that is behaving in the exact opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So for example, I feel exhausted, okay? My, my energy, my emotional energy is saying I'm exhausted. What do I do? I overwork. <laughs> I'm feeling like I want to speak up. This situation does not feel good to me and there's something I want to say or there's a conversation I want to have. What do I do with my behavior? I keep my mouth shut. I'm in a relationship that does not feel good to me. What do I do? I stay for two years, five years, 37 years. In all of those moments, I have betrayed myself. And what's really important, and I think this is such an empowering moment too, is in those moments, even if the rest of the world was safe to me, I have already shown myself that I'm willing to be my own betrayer. So as long as I'm willing to continuously injure myself, to not listen to these emotional signals, to not listen to my intuition, the world is going to feel perpetually dangerous. But if I start to realize that I'm the one that's controlling a lot of this, this is kind of, I think, a profound moment of empowerment. I shared about my failed Paris trip, which I'm very sad about, but I am going to be heading east to New York, hopefully at the end of this week. And when I go to New York, I also like to go for the weekend to visit my family in Rhode Island. But here's my problem. I pack a ginormous suitcase for New York, but then I don't want to lug that either on the train or in the car just to go for the weekend when I only need a couple pairs of pants and shoes. So I got the base weekender bag and Let me tell you, this was a game changer for me. It's the perfect size for shorter trips. It's super functional, like all of base luggage. It's very chic. It's also a great carry-on. It has a place to store your shoes separately. And it's just so thoughtfully designed, like every piece of base. I'm sure you guys are familiar with base. It was created by Shay Mitchell to make sleek and affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. So they have thought of everything you could ever want in luggage, like 
360 degree gliding wheels, a cushioned handle, built-in weight indicator. This is great for overpackers like myself, washable bags for your dirty clothes, and all the interior pockets you need to keep organized. And I'm sure you guys have seen base luggage all over Instagram. And if you're wondering if it's that good, it is really that good. So whether you're packing for a quick trip or you're looking to breeze through the security line, base has your personal items covered. And right now they are offering my listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash blonde. Go to basetravel.com slash blonde for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash blonde. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers, where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I shared last week about how I have been having a little bit of a difficult start to the fall. It's been kind of a rough month and something that I have been dealing with is some rumination and some racing thoughts. And I shared some of my tips last week with journaling and lifestyle things that I do to try to get that out and also counteract that. But one of the most impactful tools in my life is therapy. So if you ever find that you are trying to fall asleep and your brain suddenly won't stop talking or your thoughts are racing right before bed or other inopportune moments, it turns out that a really great way to make those racing thoughts go away is to talk them through. And therapy is such an amazing place to do that. So you can get out of your negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. It's also kind of like what we're talking about in this episode today. We have to confront and process these emotions that we are trying to feel in order to get some relief. And therapy is such an incredible way to do that. I feel fortunate that I have a really great support network between my friends and my family. But sometimes it's nice to just have that third party, objective, unbiased person in your life who is professionally trained and can help navigate these challenging times. And therapy isn't only for challenging times. I think that's a misconception. It's also great just for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries. Therapy can really help empower you to be the best version of yourself. So it's not just for those who are experiencing major trauma or going through a really tough time. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash files today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash files. You talk about not being able to control other people and control circumstances, but we are able to control ourselves. And this is another huge 
part of recovery. You know, I think it's it's in the serenity prayer, right? The wisdom to know the difference. But then there's also like the the willingness to then apply that and take action. And I think that that's where a lot of people get scared and it can be scary leaving the relationship and it can be scary speaking up. And I'm curious, is there kind of a biological reason or is there like a, a an evolutionary reason why we are kind of wired to avoid these things, you know, where we end up betraying ourselves? Great question. I think there's a lot of reasons. I think the earliest reason and the most powerful reason has to do with childhood. So I've, I've broken the, the book into eight codes. And one of the codes is about our parents, okay, and the, and the messages they give us. Now, obviously, parenting exists on a continuum, but even people who had, by all sort of common metrics, good parents, plenty of people constantly receive messages like this. Eat that, but I don't, I don't want to eat it. Go tell her you're sorry, but I'm, I'm not sorry. Sit down. I want to stand up. Don't do that, but I do want to do that. Don't wear that. Don't hang out like that. So very early in our life, we get a lot of messages from the most powerful leaders in our life, which is always our parents, who are telling us we're having this emotional sensation. So for example, I have two little kids. My little girl, all she wants to eat is carbohydrates and cheese, okay? (laughs) So I have a lot of feelings about this. But if I insist, for example, that she eat the damn broccoli, she's having an experience in her body and it's overwhelmingly emotional. So she's thinking, I don't wanna eat broccoli, broccoli is disgusting. If I, if I, through my leadership and my connection to her, override what her emotional energy is telling her, obviously, if you do it once or twice or a dozen times, it's fine. But when we're getting this massive amount of coding early in our life, that the very ways we feel we want to interact with others, we want to behave is wrong, we start to realize very subtly but very powerfully early in our life that we cannot trust the way that we feel. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at our parents, they're obviously external guidance sources. So we learn, okay, I cannot trust my inner GPS. I always say emotions are the Google Maps of your life. Mm -hmm. And we start deferring our power to other people. What do you think I should wear? What do you think I should grow up to be? How do you think I should behave? Mm -hmm. And so then we live these lives of chronic people pleasing. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this this idea of being very severed from our emotional energy creates so much pain because it leads us to do what I call the overs, over pleasing, over giving, overworking, over explaining, overthinking. It just goes on and on and on because what we're trying to get to through all that that huge expenditure of energy is maybe if I give enough, work enough, be pleasing enough, finally, I will be safe. Mm hmm. Yes. Our priorities are wrong. We tend to focus on the external things, I think, where we feel like if I just get that job, if I get the relationship, if I X, Y, and Z, then I'll be safe. And I mean, not to keep bringing this back to myself and my addiction, but this is just how I can relate to this work so much. For years, I didn't get the help that I needed because I thought that if I just did X, Y, and Z and changed the external things and the circumstances of my life, then I would be okay mm-hmm. on the inside. I'm, I'm so familiar with that story in my own life and then certainly through the, 
thousands of patients that I've worked with, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is such a, a big shift is to understand that the reason we are trying to get these external sources of validation, whether it's about our appearance or the things that we, how we spend our time or how our house looks, whatever it is, is because we want to be worthy and we want to be safe. In other words, we want to feel whole. So if you really want to boil this down to like the level of the brain, what the brain is basically doing is the brain is saying, it's uncertain if you're good enough, so you should hustle harder. It's uncertain if people think you're attractive, so you should try to be more attractive. It's uncertain if people really like you, so you should be more generous. So what the brain is really trying to do is get out of uncertainty. Now, the brain is actually allergic to uncertainty. It hates (laughs) it. It drives everyone crazy. And I'll tell you about a few experiments just because I think they're so powerful. Mm -hmm. So we can bring people into the lab. And we can hook them up to these machines and they deliver these electrical shocks. Now, the electrical shocks, I've had them administered. They are very painful, okay? So you can put people in conditions. And in one condition, the machine will count down, five, four, three, two, one. And you absolutely are getting a shock. In the other condition, the machine will count down, five, four, three, two, one. And it is uncertain if you will get a shock. Maybe you will and maybe you won't. Statistically, People prefer to be in the condition where they are absolutely guaranteed to get a shock. Mm. Now, people will be like, this is why human beings aren't rational. I 100% disagree. I think the brain is the most brilliant machine on the planet. What that's telling you is that your brain actually finds moments of emotional uncertainty in some cases more painful than physical pain. So we need to have reverence for the things that we deal with in our life and how activating they can be for us, okay? So I'm making this point here that your brain hates uncertainty. It's like this person hasn't texted you back. It's been more than five minutes. You're drawing all kinds of crazy conclusions because you'd rather have a horrible conclusion about how they hate you so much than have the brain sit in this moment of ambiguity. (laughs) So what we're then doing to get uncertainty out of our life is we're overworking, overthinking, overperforming. But here's this piece that I think is so healing. The opposite of uncertainty is not certainty. And in fact, the more you try to overdo it to create uncertainty, the worse you will feel. This is actually the basis of every clinical form of anxiety disorder. So whether you're talking about OCD, PTSD, social anxiety, the more we're we're pathologically seeking certainty by overworking, overdoing, overchecking, the worse we will feel. Okay, so then what is the opposite of uncertainty? The opposite of uncertainty is self-trust. Huh. That no matter what happens out there, I already have everything I need to be okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're whole no matter what the circumstances are, yep. no matter what the situation is, whether you have the relationship or the job or the text back or the money or whatever the, the circumstances are essentially is what you're saying. Yes. Now, everyone's probably heard this a million times mm-hmm. because people talk about like, I am whole and I mm-hmm. am inherently worthy. Mm-hmm. So intellectually, we get it. But then I would start to ask you, well, tell me what's happening 
in your emotional and your behavioral system. Mm -hmm. When you say that you're going to do something, do you really honor your commitment to yourself? When you're in a situation that feels bad to you, you're in a relationship that doesn't feel good, you're just in a conversation that doesn't feel good, you're on social media and it doesn't feel good. Do you honor that, that feeling inside of you and take care of yourself or do you push through? Because if it was a small child or a friend and that small child or friend said to you like, hey, I don't feel good at this party, I wanna go, and you said, suck it up, we're gonna stay here, pretty soon, that friend or that small child would not trust you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, what I think is kind of this very counterintuitive thing, I think it's so, it sounds bad, but it's actually incredibly empowering, is when we really start to look at the ways we abandon ourselves, we start to see, let me just meet myself there. If I say I, I want to speak up more, let me kind of hold the edge of that. If I say I want to work out or eat healthier or I don't care what it is, it's not it's never the action. Our lives are constructed by emotional energy. So when I say that I'm going to show up in the energy of self-trust, do I actually deliver? Because I cannot believe that I'm actually okay as long as I'm willing to injure myself. Mm-hmm. So it becomes this massive paradigm shift. And when people start to do it, People start to get momentum very, very quickly. And this is when these gorgeous, soaring transformations really do happen in people's lives. I see it. You know, I've worked with the most extreme forms of trauma on the planet, torture, sexual assault, combat. I've worked with people who, if they said that they were going to stay down, you'd be like, you, I completely understand why. Mm. And people rise because... There is something in a lot, a lot of times in the human spirit that says I'm going to rise no matter what. But that rising is all predicated on my ability to face my bad feelings and to come into a really sacred relationship with myself. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this before, but when I got my boobs done last year, I had to completely overhaul my bras. So I had to say goodbye to underwire except for, you know, special occasions and find bras that were supportive, but also really comfortable. And also I started sleeping in a bra because I just feel like it keeps everything kind of contained. So comfort is utmost importance when it comes to this. And I have to tell you, my absolute favorite is Honey Love's crossover bra. It is so comfortable It's something that I want to wear all the time. So gone are the days when you get home and you want to rip your bra off. It gives all the support of traditional bras without any underwire. Plus, it has some nice mesh detailing. So there's a little hint of sexy. And there's so much attention to detail when it comes to the cut and the fit of all of Honey Love's bras. If you're tired of bras that cause bulging in the back, Honey Love's bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent that, which is so nice. For a more relaxed lounge bra, I would recommend checking out their V bra. It offers the support of a traditional bra without the uncomfortable underwire. It's designed to lift and separate with molded cups and it's not like a shelf bra that creates that uniboob effect. It creates really nice cleavage, but it's also really comfortable again without that underwire, which can get 
very annoying. But it doesn't stop there. Honey Love has more than just bras. They have incredibly comfortable shapewear, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. So you could pair your V-bra with their breathable, versatile leggings or get the matching shapewear to your crossover bra. Honey Love has you covered for the everyday look, workouts, weddings, and more. You guys need to check this out. You will not go back to traditional bras. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash blonde and use our exclusive link to get 20% off. So honeylove.com slash blonde. Again, that's honeylove.com slash blonde for 20% off. One of the questions that I get all the time from listeners and people who follow me is how do I stay healthy and maintain healthy habits when I travel? I think we have all experienced being really locked in with our routines when we're at home and then we travel and it's really hard to keep up with our habits. But Westin Hotels make it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling and even explore new ones, which I always think is so fun when I'm traveling. I love exploring the area around me on a walk. You can go for runs. I love a good hotel gym and Weston has all of that and more. So with signature offerings that help you move, eat and sleep well, Weston hotels make travel an opportunity to enhance your well-being. So at Weston, you can work out how you want with a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine on track while you're away. You can maintain your focus in Weston workout fitness studios, which are equipped with state-of-the-art equipment. They also have really amazing run options. So Weston actually has a run concierge, which is a running guide and buddy who makes it easy for you to explore the local areas. Weston has three and five mile scenic running maps that can make it easier for you to find the best route to explore on foot. You can also do your own thing in your guest room with workout and recovery gear available on demand through Weston's gear lending program. And you can customize your workout while on the go with Hyperice and Bala products to borrow during your stay. Also, they have their eat well menu. So this is designed with foods that make sure you meet your nutritional needs and you can choose what's right for you based on desired portion size, nutritional balance and ingredients. As if that's not enough, you can also recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep in Weston's renowned heavenly bed and so much more. So Weston Hotels and Resorts is part of Marriott Bonvoy, an extraordinary portfolio of hotel brands and an award-winning travel program. At Weston Hotels, there's amenities and offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, and sleep well so you can keep your well-being close while away. Find wellness on your next day at Weston. I wanted to ask you why two people, say two people who experience the same trauma, one person mm-hmm. gets better and one person doesn't. Does it come down to their willingness to face it? I mean, not to blame, you know, one person for not doing it versus the other, but since you've worked with so many people who have been through so many extreme situations and you've worked with really successful people and leaders and, you know, why do some people get it and some people don't? So this is an enormous question. It's actually (laughs) one of the sort of the foundational pieces of my scientific research. So one, you're exactly right. One of the things that became very interesting to scientists and psychologists is that people would be exposed to very similar traumas whether it was assaults or combats or domestic violence, 
and people would have very different responses. So the answer is incredibly complex and multifaceted. It has to do with a lot of different things, including, you know, people have different, just like we have different feet sizes. People have different structures in their brain, like different sizes. And this has something to do with who's kind of maybe more naturally resilient and who's not. Mm -hmm. But here's what I can say. So the answer is complicated. But if people are willing to come into a new relationship with difficult feelings, everything transforms. Can I can I tell a quick story? Mm -hmm. So I just want to show you. So sometimes I don't like to talk about extreme trauma because then I think people think, well, okay, that has nothing to do with me. I'm just have more run of the mill stress. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I will sometimes tell anecdotes from really extreme cases is because if there is relief at the edge case of human suffering, there is relief for us all. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is such a redemptive message. Mm -hmm. So the frontline treatments for anxiety, these are the most evidence-based, scientifically supported treatments, ask us to come into a new relationship with our negative feelings. Okay, so conditions like OCD, PTSD, social anxiety are all predicated on avoidance. I don't want to feel those feelings. I don't want to feel those feelings. I don't want to feel those feelings. So I was working with a combat veteran who had been back for two decades. Okay, and what happens a lot of times with PTSD is you can't have a normal life because noises bother you. You have a lot of irritability and anger. So he was Basically, his marriage had broken up. He could no longer have a job. He couldn't be around his small children. It was very difficult for him to drive. So being in traffic was very triggering because of some things that had happened in convoys. So he finally gets to me because he's desperate. So to go back to your example, like that rock bottom moment, mm -hmm. why would we face our pain if we didn't really believe that there was something finally in there for us? If we could, if we could circumvent it, we should. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of us realize there's no shortcuts in this way. So this guy has been back for, like I said, 20 years. So he comes in and I say, so the most evidence-based frontline treatment for trauma is for us to stop avoiding talking about your trauma because this whole thing was like, let me engage in all of these behaviors, kind of like you were saying with addiction. So mm -hmm. I don't have to feel these feelings. Let me not drive. Let me not go to restaurants. Let me avoid people. So we're going to talk about the trauma you've been avoiding. And we're not just going to talk about it in session. You're going to record it on your phone. You're going to bring it home with you and you're going to listen to it over and over and over. Mm. He was like, that is the dumbest idea <laughs> I've ever heard. And he was incredibly courageous and was like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. So at week eight, he comes into my office, holds his phone up and he's like, Doc, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, okay, sit down and tell me what's going on. He holds up his phone. He's like, every time I listen to this recording, I fall asleep. Wow. Dull as shit. That is incredible. It's incredible, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. For 20 years, mm. we can get into these cycles of just constant chronic avoidance of feelings. Mm -hmm. And his willingness to just feel feelings that were already inside of his body mm -hmm. became this incredibly redemptive and incredibly transformative experience. And that's why I say when I could do this work for a million lifetimes, mm -hmm. I think the biggest trick that life plays on us 
is we think our bad feelings are here to torment us. Mm-hmm. Our feelings of fear and stress and anxiety and shame and doubt, they are not here to torment us. They are here to lead us home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard you say that before, and I found that to be so powerful. And I had a similar experience with trauma. It's kind of fresh in my mind because I just talked about it on a episode that released today. But when I was in my addiction, I found my best friend murdered. And that was something that I buried. You know, I continued drinking and using for a few years after that, kind of out of a survival thing. And I really avoided it for a long time. And then I did a similar exercise with my therapist where we did brain spotting, but it was Mm -hmm. where I would talk about it over and over and over and over and walk her through it over and over. And she used the analogy of like squeezing the lemon. And, you know, she would help me kind of process after. And a lot of times I would go numb and I was having a Mm -hmm. real physical trauma response. And then it would I would start yawning after and get really tired. And it's like this physical release of that trauma, I think, in my body. And then we got to a point where I didn't get activated anymore when I was telling that. And so I've lived that experience with other things, too, with the you know, like I said in the beginning, the alcoholism and the addiction, but of just confronting these things and realizing that these feelings don't last forever either. I think that's something really important for people listening to hear. They don't last forever. You know, and I think obviously, so first of all, that was such a complex and traumatizing experience that you went through. And Mm -hmm. I think when we have traumas that we go through, they're always going to be traumas. The idea is not to make our relationship with our trauma, not traumatizing. Mm -hmm. It's to make us not be sick anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is the piece that I also think is so powerful. It's in your case and in the example of a combat veteran, they had already lived through the actual trauma. Mm -hmm. So what was happening is the energy was just stuck in the body. Okay. And so every time the energy would start to rise, like uh, the kid would make a noise or someone would start a conversation or It's like, I can't feel those feelings, but there is a massive, massive distinction between feeling a thing and actually living through a thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like we have this energetic, emotional waste in the body. You have to move it. Mm -hmm. And there's like a tremendous release that comes from that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And back to what you said about that setting us free. How do people who are listening, if they're like, well, this all sounds great. How do I do that? How do I let these emotions rise and how do I process them and begin to be able to confront them? I would imagine that maybe like with the brain, I think a lot of this stuff sounds like it's sort of primitive, whereas, you know, we can hear all of this rationally and understand it with, you know, the executive functioning part of our brain. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, (laughs) but that's relatively new compared to like this reptilian part of Mm -hmm. our brain where we've been wired to fear uncertainty for survival, I'm sure. Yes. So first of all, it's like you need to get clear on what is actually what is actually the source of the pain. So the first step you want to do is like a lot of times we'll say it's because of the way my husband is speaking to me. It's because of the way my partner is what they're doing. It's because of the people on social media. Even if that's true, there's a more powerful question. And by more powerful, I just mean empowering okay, I don't like the way these people are talking to me. Now, here's the other point that is, I think, very key. Most of the pain in our life is chronic. In other words, it's not the first time my husband says an annoying thing to me. It's like 
the 1700s, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have to recognize that so much of our pain is coming in these very patterned, predictable ways. Okay, so if it's patterned and predictable, and it's happening in the context of a relationship, I, by the math of a relationship, is in 50% of that. So let me get clear, and this can be, I understand that this can be a triggering question, but just kind of breathe into it. What are the ways I'm contributing to my own destruction in this situation? Am I having conversations that I, I don't want to have? Am I not speaking up when I don't want to speak up? Am I, I'm the one that's saying these are my boundaries, but then I'm outsourcing my boundaries like it's somebody else's job to hold my boundaries. But if I flip that, in other words, is it my job to hold their boundaries? Like it, you can see really quick how it just, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So let me get number one clear on the source of my pain. Let me think about how I am contributing to my own destruction. Mm-hmm. And then let me think, and this, this is a very important point too, is what is the emotional energy that I want to embody in my life? This is a very simple exercise and so, pow- so powerful. Do I want to be calm? Do I want to be inspiring? Do I want to be honest? Name the emotion. A lot of times what happens this is, again, very counterintuitive. If I had one word to describe my work, it would be counterintuitive. <laughs> a lot of times we think the situation creates our emotion. This is often not true. Hmm. It is often our emotion that creates the situation. Okay? So if I walk into a party and I start thinking, people here don't like me, give me five seconds before I start finding people to confirm my hypothesis. Confirmation bias. Exactly. (laughs) So if I start thinking, okay, the energy that I want to embody is confidence or poise or generosity, then let me think in every situation I go into, you can train your brain very quickly to do things like this. What is the most emotionally honest edge of that emotion? So for example, let's say, I'll just make this up. Let's say mine is like confidence, okay? Mm -hmm. And let's say I like have a new idea I want to share with people. Let's say I go and I share with a bunch of people and they're like, I don't really get it, Julia. I could go to my mirror and I could be like, it's a great idea. I don't care what anybody thinks. Screw these people. But that's not emotionally honest. And so my brain is going to be like, bullshit, bullshit, because I do care what people think about me, okay? Mm -hmm. So the most emotionally honest edge might be, hey, you know what? That didn't go well with that group of people, but I really do like this idea. Let me find a safer friend to share this with, or let me find a different venue that I can share this idea. In other words, it's like I still need to think about how I'm going to hold this emotional energy of confidence in a way that's also honest. So I think a lot of times when we start to say things like affirmations or they're not really aligned with the true edge of our emotional energy. And the brain is a dissonance detector. So Mm -hmm. if if I say, like I I just gave the example, if I say I don't care what people think about me, I'm the greatest person on the planet. I like myself and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. My brain's like, none of that is true. (laughs) And then again, I can't can't trust it. So we're back at this idea of self-trust. Interesting. So I think I think the key piece here is this counterintuitive thing of stop focusing so much on your situations mm-hmm. and start thinking, what is the emotional energy I want to generate in this lifetime? Mm-hmm. We all the time forget that we are without a doubt 
the most powerful creator in our own lives. Mm -hmm. We are not a victim to our own lives. Yes. And I actually think a lot of times we're more intimidated by our power than by our powerlessness. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think it goes back to childhood. Again, um, we get, and I, I don't even think things necessarily go wrong in childhood. I think this is just the human experience. You know, I think a lot about human development and human evolution. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you think about the, the conversations around human development in our culture, they're not that interesting. It's mm-hmm. like you turn 18, you go to college, then you graduate from college, and then it's over. It's just like a flat to downhill ride. <laughs> to It's like, that is, what is that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what happens in childhood is we get all these messages that our experience of our life is wrong. It can't be trusted. And when we're neurobiologically so attached to our parents, okay, you really can't sever that connection. Even when we have traumatizing relationships with our parents, they're still so powerfully formative. We start to think, okay, I can't really trust myself. So the things that I want for myself can't really be good and they can't really be powerful. And so the the type of life that builds is a life where we play small. Because if I really were to start trusting myself at five or 10 or 15 or 25, there was probably a lot of fear in that. I was going to have to break away from my parents. I was going to have to break away from my educators. I was going to have to break away from my peers. And so I think we start to learn, don't listen to that that inner knowing inside of us. Mm-hmm. And I think we're terrified but, but then we're kind of kind of stuck in this purgatory. It's like our lives don't feel good for us, and we want more. We want more expression. We want more creativity. We want more connection. But we're terrified of it. So a lot of times what we do is we play small, and then we wake up feeling like, oh, God, another day of this. <laughs> and we feel the emotional response is very predictable. We feel bored. We feel numb. We feel underwhelmed. We feel stressed. We feel insecure. Why would you feel secure in a life that wasn't designed for you? Mm -hmm. So, so much of this is like coming into alignment with our emotional power. And this idea of emotional power, I just want to say something very simple that I think is very clarifying and powerful. Your brain really has three systems to get you through this lifetime. A feeling system, a thinking system, and a behaving system. Okay? They're like engines. If you had a jet that was flying... And like one engine was flying in this direction, the other engine was flying in the other direction. You'd be like, that is the worst designed jet I've ever seen in my life. It's so inefficient, just canceling itself out. Mm. But we're (laughs) out there doing this all the time. We are feeling in one direction, thinking in the other direction, behaving in the other. It's a mess. And we're spending an enormous amount of energy, but we're going nowhere fast. So the power move is to start, you know, Rome is not built in a day, but to start aligning my thinking and my behaving and my feeling. Do you suggest people write it down? Absolutely. <laughs> so emotions are come from a part of the, a subcortical part of the brain, which does not understand linear language. Okay. So this is why people sometimes when they're not well-versed in their own emotions, they can feel overwhelmed or confused by them. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we think talk therapy works is because language is a very linear process and it's a, it's a much more frontal process. When we speak or write about our emotions, 
it organizes them. And so Mm -hmm. our thinking and our emotions start to come in alignment. Mm -hmm. Also, when we start to write about emotions that are scary, we diffuse a lot of the energy. The energy just kind of rises through our nervous system and is is released. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like you are stuck in the middle of a stress storm? I think this is something that a lot of us feel and can relate to. It can be overwhelming. And it's not just your mind that suffers when you're feeling tense and anxious. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced that stress can also make a mess of your digestion and your immune system too. But here's the thing, your life doesn't have to be a constant downpour. So Just Calm, the breakthrough new stress soothing formula from Just Thrive is amazing to counteract this stress. You can say goodbye to frazzled nerves and say hello to a steady, serene, more relaxed you. Just Calm's proprietary mood lifting blend is clinically proven to help you hit the relaxation jackpot in as little as Four weeks. And then if you want next level mood TLC, there is, of course, my favorite Just Thrive probiotic. This spore probiotic banishes bloat and constipation so your gut can produce more serotonin, which is your happy hormone. Plus, it supports better sleep so you can wake up feeling refreshed and revitalized. This is an amazing duo. So with Just Calm and Just Thrive probiotic, you basically have the ultimate stress fighting combo to help you feel cool, collected, in control. I had Tina Anderson, the founder of Just Thrive on my podcast, I believe three times now. She was on this spring, so you can go back and check out that episode. We talk a lot about Just Calm and Just Thrive probiotic and the science behind it. And we know that stress is a physical and emotional thing, and it can be really hard to overcome emotional and mental stress and anxiety when your body is in a constant state of stress and vice versa. So right now, the Blonde Files listeners can save a whopping 30% on the first month of a subscription. You can lock in member pricing and free shipping for life and score some amazing freebies along the way. Take control of your best health today with Just Thrive. Visit justthrivehealth.com and use the promo code BLONDEFILES. Again, that's justthrivehealth.com and the code is BLONDEFILES. I'm just thinking of something that I did in recovery, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is an inventory. And I feel like some of this was kind of incorporated into that work where, you know, you're going through different things. You're going through fears, you're going through resentments. And it was the first time in my life where I'd written down things that I was resentful of. Oh, I'm resentful at my parents because of this. And it's like, okay, forget about that. What was my part? Maybe parents wasn't a good example. I mean, you don't have a part in certain things as a kid, but Mm -hmm. are you holding on to that when you're 30? That's a little bit different. And, you know, I resent the X because X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, forget that. What is my part? And I start to see these patterns and it is like a system. And I can see these patterns that really run my life or ran my life up until that point. And then there's a last piece to that, which was like, what is the spiritually fit thing to do? Or I think of that as what would my highest self do? Mm-hmm. And then I can start to integrate that into my life. And then when I start to have those feelings of, you know, oh, I, res- I resent my partner because this, oh yeah, that's this. And this is how I'm going to shift and 
handle this now. Yes. So such a powerful example. And also like when you were talking, I'm sort of struck by this idea of the emotional scale. A lot of times when we're in a ton of pain in our lives, we're numb. Okay. Mm-hmm. And thank God, like it's a very adaptive response. Mm-hmm. So what starts to happen is we're, when we go into treatment and I, I mean, even just when we're willing to like go to the self-help section at Barnes and Noble, okay, we have these difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. We're going to work on them. We want to like take the mountain in a single leap. It's like, I feel like shit. Now let me feel glorious. It does not work that way. Don't mm-hmm. panic. Just mm-hmm. understand how the thing works. It's like no one would get in a car and try to have it like get flight, just Mm -hmm. like understand how the nervous system works and you'll have so much more power in your life. So it's actually beautiful progress. And this is why to have someone tell you this, it can be very soothing and very grounding. It's beautiful forward progress to go from numbness to rage. Mm -hmm. It is beautiful forward progress to go from rage to resentment. It is beautiful forward progress to go from resentment to blah. It's then blah to like, meh, mm-hmm. and then meh to like, mm, maybe, <laughs> and then maybe to good, and then good to, do you see what I'm saying? So it's like, you have to learn how to scale these emotional energies. And the thing that drives me crazy is everyone gets this on the physical health side. Yes. No one like hasn't worked out in 72 years and it's like, tomorrow I'm going to do an Ironman. Yeah. Okay. It's like, let me just go for a a small walk. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I've watched the field of mental health and well-being and what I call emotional power for 40 years. I think we're in a very special moment. I think obviously so much of it was driven by technology and podcasts like yours and the pandemic. But like, I think the world is ready to have a conversation about emotional intelligence like we've never had before. Mm hmm. Yes. And I've heard you say, I believe it was about emotional intelligence, but emotional intelligence is really who you are when you show up in those moments of pain, right? Not when everything is going well, because when everything's going well, we're just kind of operating on autopilot, I would assume. Yes. So it's kind of a, hopefully like a a appropriately provocative definition. Mm -hmm. If things are going well in my life, and I hope that we all have these moments where the people are agreeing and the kids are listening mm-hmm. and the partner's doing what we hope our part and the, and the social media isn't like driving us bananas. Mm-hmm. In those moments, life is working for me. It really does not require me to draw on even an ounce of my own power. My power really starts the moment I don't like the words coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way the situation is going. I don't like the fact that you're asking me questions that make me feel uncomfortable. I don't like, and it doesn't even have to be threatening. Maybe sometimes people just want to get to know you and sometimes intimacy can Mm -hmm. be very triggering. It's like in those moments when I start here, we come back to energy rising. I feel the heat of hard emotions start to rise. This is the edge between who I am and the more powerful person I could easily become. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting, too, is, you know, the, the frontal part of our, our brain, what we oftentimes will call like the mind. I always feel like the mind, because the mind is quite brilliant, it's like it always wants very complex solutions. It's like, what is the 72 step process to? It's like, mm-hmm. no, just relax. When the energy starts to rise and you're in a conversation and it's not feeling good, just 
take a big breath and really hit that exhale. Because the exhale, 100% of the time, is going to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And then speak to the emotion. It is so powerful. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where they say to you, I'm feeling a little bit nervous right now? Mm -hmm. It's just such a disarming moment. It's such an authentic moment. But so often we're out there trying to posture about some conceptualization of who we should be. Mm -hmm. Maybe you heard this in all the um, addiction treatment, but we talk a lot about like not shooting on yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because should is just such a a pain response. Right. So it's like if we could just trust that the human emotional experience is native to every single person on this planet. Mm -hmm. We've we've just gotten it kind of twisted. Yes, for sure. I always talk about my addiction as kind of morphing into this thing where I had to keep drinking and using to put up and maintain these facades of who I thought you thought I should be and to quiet all of the ideas of what I thought you were thinking of me, you know, and it's just like we all struggle with this stuff. And once you can be open about that, I think it takes some of that power away and you realize like, oh, yeah, we're all just kind of fumbling our way (laughs) through this. I thought that was such a I got chills when you said that. So I think you just hit the nail on the head there. It's like we're all out there with the people in our heads, Mm -hmm. except the people are literally hallucinations that we're having with ourselves. Yes. So I start to have this hallucination about how these people want me to act, except the people aren't even real. They're just a figment of my imagination. And then I start to get in like, very detailed comp I, I now know what the hallucinations say yes. and the hallucinations have advice <laughs> on what I should wear mm-hmm. and they and it's just like everyone's out there like I almost feel like did you ever go to your grandma's house and like her couches were like covered in plastic <laughs> like the squishy like gross plastic it's like we're all out there with all this like layers and if we could just pull it back and just sit sit on the damn furniture you only got mm-hmm. one life to live yeah yeah and I think the funny thing is we think we're having these hallucinations about what other people are thinking about us or perceiving. And most of us are thinking about ourselves most of the time. (laughs) And I think that's like, that was a revelation to me, you know, where it was like, oh yeah, maybe somebody will think about me for 30 seconds and then they're back to thinking about their own shit. But isn't that so freeing? Yes. It's so freeing. It's like, oh my God, that like pressure of having to perform, Mm -hmm. over-deliver, over-perform. It's like, oh my God, they're they're not, oh my God, they're not actually thinking about me. Mm -hmm. It it feels like liberation, right? It's like, let me just be. And then hopefully, God bless them too, because they're probably obsessing about like, what all their hallucinations are telling them. So it's like, I think the more we have conversations like this, the more Mm -hmm. relief there can be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell everybody where they can find your book and where they can get more of you. (laughs) Well, thank you. So yes, so Energy Rising, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble or Target. If you're interested in becoming more emotionally powerful and having a more emotionally satisfying life, check it out. It really is a phenomenal book. And then I would love to connect on social media. I can be found on Instagram at Dr. Julia Deganji, LinkedIn, Dr. Julia Deganji, Facebook, and YouTube at Dr. Julia Deganji. All of the things. All of the things. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.